Hi everyone, uh, it's great to be with you again. This is part two of Many Nations, One Family. Last week we had the opportunity to celebrate our cultural diversity, rejoice in all of that, and begin to listen as well to some of the pain that's been involved for many. Now this morning my plan isn't to offer any great solutions or really to address the many injustices that have happened over the centuries. What we're going to do this morning is to take a look at the Bible and ask, does the Bible help us in any way with how to be a multicultural society? We're going to see a biblical picture of many nations, one family. Now, we've just heard, of course, from JJ, who gave us some very powerful and challenging accounts of his experiences, many of them hugely unacceptable. So what does the Bible have to say? How can it help us and equip us in this area? And as always, the Bible has a huge amount to say. The Bible has more than simply humanitarian statement that we should treat one another with equal dignity, which we absolutely should. We have more than sociology, we have a biblical theology, a robust biblical theology for how we should treat one another in this world. Now, I want you to imagine a pair of bookends, okay? The obvious idea of a pair of bookends being that without one or either of those bookends, everything in between is likely to fall down at some point. Keep that picture in mind. See, the bookends of the Bible, of God's story, God's design of us in Genesis, and God's destiny for us in Revelation, the two end parts of the Bible, provide a view of humanity, a glorious and exciting view of humanity that shape the way that we relate to one another with all of our different backgrounds and cultures and experiences in unity. And those bookends provide a framework for what it means to treat people as God intends, with genuine humility, with genuine equality in the midst of all our diversity. So those bookends, God's design of us at the beginning of time and his destiny for us at the end of time are meant to define how we live together in the middle of time. So let's take the first of those two bookends, Genesis chapter 1. Here's part of the account of creation. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Here's a, here's a foundational principle for humanity in the Christian worldview. That from the first two people created, Adam and Eve, right on through everyone who has ever lived, there is something of God about those people. There is something that distinguishes us from all other creatures. We are not just highly evolved animals. There is something of God's imprint on us. 
The most expensive painting ever sold was sold for a staggering $450 million. It was, the, uh, it was Leonardo da Vinci's painting, Salvador Mundi. And uh, in 2017, it sold for an eye-watering, extraordinary $450 million. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen that painting, but when I looked at it, I thought, it's all right. It's not especially amazing. I've seen what I would say better paintings, but that's not the point. The point is it sold for $450 million. Someone cast that value on it because it was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. The creator of it, the author of it, gave it its extraordinary value. We are created in the image of God by his hand. What does created in the image of God actually mean? Well, it doesn't refer to physical properties because God is spirit. What it means is it means that he has endowed us intrinsically with certain attributes that reflect his. We're not gods, but certain attributes that God has, he has pressed into our makeup. He's made us to rule and create as he does. He's made us with the capacity to relate to God as he does in Trinity. He's made us to be his representatives and various other things. There are certain qualities about mankind, every single person, that reflects God himself. And that, that image of God in man has been distorted in all of us by sin, but it still remains in every single one of us. It means that every person has extraordinary value and every person is equal in worth and should be treated as such, for we bear the image of the Creator. Whatever the colour of one's skin, whatever wealth in one's bank account, whatever the abilities or disabilities one may have, whatever occupation one is employed in, we are all created equally in the image of God. Consider these words from the Psalms. Psalm 8, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Listen to this. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. Just think for a moment. That person you just don't get. That neighbour you struggle with. That colleague at work who wronged you last week. That person with a very different cultural background to yours. They are all, every one of them, crowned with glory and honour, that psalm tells us, because God has made each of them just a little lower than the angels. See, there's something of God about every single person. Psalm 139, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I may be pink, black, brown. I may be Danish, 
Scottish, Turkish, I might be a pastor, a housewife, a bricklayer, but of each one, you created them in their inmost being. You knit them together in their mother's womb. I praise you because I and they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Which means that no people group can rightly look down on any other people group. Because to quote Martin Luther King, who himself was quoting the United States Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Which means, if, if I may say, which means that if you've had any queries of late with the focus on Black Lives Matter, then you've missed the point that all lives matter equally. See, the Black Lives Matter movement has been so rightly saying to us, Black Lives Matter too. Black Lives Matter equally. For so long, Black Lives have not seemed to matter equally. And we want all to know and all to behave in ways that demonstrate that black lives matter because every single life matters. That's a biblical understanding of God's design. So with JJ's experiences in mind, I suspect that many of us have a need to repent whether that be of racism or prejudice or indifference, inaction, perhaps even pride. I'm going to pray in a second, but let me just give you a few seconds to just gather your thoughts and ask, Lord, what is it that I need to repent of in this matter? Let's pray. God, you invite us to recognize and honor your divine image and likeness in ourselves and in our neighbors. Enable us to be shaped by your design and especially to see the reality of racism and every other ism and to challenge it and uproot it from our society, from our churches, and from the world. Amen. The first bookend, design. The second bookend, destiny. Revelation chapter 7. See, it's not only that God has designed us to be diversity, inequality, and unity in this life, the new heaven and the new earth, we will eternally and truly be equality and unity in diversity. What an exciting prospect. Revelation chapter 7 says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes 
a mark of purity and righteousness and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let me tell you, if you don't like diversity, many nations, one family, you won't like where this is all heading. You see, the final heavenly picture is not a massive uniform humanity at all. What John sees is diversity in unity and equality. He sees it. It's a recognizably international, multicultural community gathered around the throne, worshipping the Savior together in unity. Diversity is not gone. What has gone are any sinful attitudes, sinful actions, and pain associated with all of that. So we who are Christians have a double sense of many nations, one family. You see, not only are we all created equally in God's family that is humanity, those who follow Jesus are also new creations in Christ and equally members in his one new family. It's one of the one of the many things that God has accomplished for us in Christ's victory on the cross. There are various parts of the New Testament that tell us that. Galatians chapter 3 is one of them. It says this, for you are all sons of God in through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now what the writer Paul is not meaning is that there's no distinction. He's not saying that cultural background matters for nothing, gender matters for nothing. That's not his point at all. We're not all the the same. Individuality, Personal experience, personal background, it's not just disappeared in Christ. The point is this, we now share humanity, all created in the image of God, but in Christ we now share especially an essential unity, an essential unity of status, of dignity, of relationship with God. What was always intended is in Christ being realized bit by bit and will be fully experienced in eternity. Diversity, inequality and unity. See, the cross, the cross is not only the way for individuals to be reconciled to God and free of their sin. The cross is the way that God is bringing many nations together and creating one new family under his wonderful headship. And because eternity will be spent as a great multitude of diversity in unity, that is meant to be the model for how we live and build now in this life. Our churches should reflect that, must reflect that. God's design of us at the beginning of time and his destiny for us at the end of time are meant to define how we live now in the middle of time. Finally, Jesus, the image of God. I want to offer one practical point, you see. We have so much more 
than sociology, we have biblical theology. And we have Christology, beliefs about Christ that shape who we are and how we live. You see, we have a model in Jesus Christ for living between the bookends. Design, destiny, how do we live in between? We have a model, it's Jesus Christ himself. He is the image of God. The Bible, the New Testament itself tells us this. Colossians chapter 1, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. If there's something of God imprinted in each of us, Jesus said he came and he really was God made visible to us. The image of God. So we know how he lived. We know how he loved. And if ever there was someone who reached across a vast cultural divide, it was Jesus Christ himself. Think about it. He, pure and holy, not needing anything else except his life in the Trinity, crosses the cosmos, as it were, and comes to us in our sin and lostness. If ever there was a cultural divide, he has crossed it. He loved, he welcomed, he called you and me to belong with a seat at the table. And he's also our model because during his life on earth, as the Gospels record for us, he courageously, continuously crossed the boundaries, crossed the cultures, crossed the prejudices in order to reach those who were far from him. Think of a few quick examples. The Samaritan woman at the well, so so separated, Jew from Samaritan. Jesus crosses that divide. The Greek woman in in Syrophoenicia, the Roman centurion, the hated tax collectors, the unclean lepers, the prostitutes. He provides a model for us, not just to accept that there's design and there's destiny, but in the middle of time to live in the reality of that and to bring that into our own time. See, it's always a great question. What would Jesus do in my situation? Let's do more of what Jesus would do so that God's design of us at the beginning of time and his destiny for us at the end of time would increasingly define how we live in the middle of time for God's glory and one another's good. May your life and my life be shaped. May our church be shaped. May society be shaped by these magnificent truths that shape our thinking and acting. Thank you.